The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Him as your Savior for for very long at all in your life. No doubt you could resonate with that song as well and and think of the times that the Lord has provided and He's taken care of you. But my friends, honestly, the uh, most important thing that we ought to consider and think about and and give witness to the fact is when uh, Christ saved your soul and the fact that He uh, gave His life so that you might be able to be saved. And I know that as you're looking at the slide, you might notice there's a, a typo in it. It says gospel instead of gospel, and somebody else told me that I'll fix it this week. Don't let that distract you from the message. I know somebody was looking at it this morning and saying, can't believe he misspelled the gospel and all of that. I know it's there, all right? So uh, I've already, somebody watching online called me as well to let me know, and uh, so uh, it's all good. I make mistakes every once in a while. My wife remembers all of them, of course, but uh, we're, we'll be looking at the book of Philemon today. And next week, we, of course, on the 16th is Vision Sunday, we'll unveil our brand new year's theme, and uh, we'll bring a uh, series of lessons and messages from that theme uh, on on the 16th and then throughout the next couple weeks after that. But leading into that, I want to take just a couple weeks and look at this book of Philemon. Philemon's in the New Testament, just before the book of Hebrews. And uh, we'll talk more about what it holds and what is the in and why it was written and all of that. Uh, but as we consider it over th- this week and next week, I want you to consider uh, the fact that it is a t- a powerful illustration. It is a powerful story that the gospel has transforming power, and that's what this series is all about. Just two week series, but the transforming power of the gospel and how the, the transformation of the gospel. We're going to read just the first five verses to begin, and of course, it's just this one chapter in the book. It's 25 verses. We'll read just the first five to begin. We'll highlight a few as we sprinkle it through the rest of the message here this morning as well as we consider the transformation of the gospel. Notice verse number one with me. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in your house and for the ability to start off this brand new year that you've given us, a, a, a year that is truly a gift. And, and uh, every single day, every single moment, every breath we have is a truly a gift from you. Even the uh, years that we've had in the last couple that have been trying and, and testing, Lord, they're still gifts. And, and we recognize your sovereignty and your goodness in that, Lord. And I ask now that as we start off this brand new year, we, ju- we just want to say thank you that, that uh, you've given us this opportunity. I ask that every single one of us that are here would, uh, would recognize this great gift and opportunity. We pray for those who are unable to make it here today, for whether it be sickness or whether they still be out of town uh, for the holidays and travel and such. But God, we just praise you and thank you for another year to start off serving you. 
God, as we uh, go to your word today, give me the word to speak as I deliver it. Help us to hear from you. Holy Spirit, guide us as we hear the truths of your word. And uh, God, we just want to honor and glorify you in everything that is said and done here this morning. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story that's told of two brothers, and uh, they were... They, they didn't make their living by the best of means. They were thieves. Let's just put it bluntly and, and plainly. They were thieves. And uh, they went through a string or a time where their main item, the main thing that they were stealing was, uh, was sheep. They lived in a, a, a farming community, and so they were stealing other sheep and taking them off someplace else to sell them or using the wool and things like that. But nevertheless, their string of luck turned bad quickly, and they were caught. And and so they were tried and they were convicted, and part of the punishment uh, for their crimes that they had committed was that like a piece of livestock, they were branded right on their foreheads. They branded it with the, their foreheads with the initials ST for standing for sheep thief. So every place they went, everywhere they went, it was known that these were the sheep thieves. They, these were the guys that were they're stealing the sheep, and, and uh, so they, they, they went through their punishment. They had to live with that for the rest of their life. It, it was too much for one of the brothers to bear, and he said, I cannot continue to go through life walking through town. Everyone, when they see me, they put their hand on their back pocket to make sure their wallet's not taken. The women clench their purses a little closer. And say, I can't take this any longer. I've got to go someplace else where nobody knows me, where nobody knows what this is all about, and he left never to be seen again. The other brother said, I'm not going to respond in that way. And he said, instead, I'm going to live the rest of my life trying to make amends for what I had done and trying to build a good name instead and try to do right by people. When people are in need, I want to try to help them and, and, uh, and show that I'm not, not a thief any longer, that there's been a change that has taken place. And so years go by, I mean decades go by, and, uh, and this man still living in town, he's an old man now, helping everyone he can and trying to do the best as he can as he lives uh, around those in his community. A brand new family moved into the town, and again, the town's not a very big one, it's a small farming community, and, and when this family moves into town, it doesn't take long for them to pass this one brother who has ST branded on his forehead it doesn't take them long to pa before they pass him on the streets. A couple of times go by, and they said, that's pretty odd that this guy has ST branded on his forehead, to where they, the, the, the curiosity, they couldn't take it any longer. So they went to their neighbor, and they asked, they said, hey, can you tell me, you know that guy with ST on his forehead? Oh, yeah, well, I know him. What, what's, that, what's the story? What's the deal with that? Why does he have ST branded on his forehead? The neighbor looked at the, his brand new neighbor, the ones new to the town. He says, well, I forget all the particulars. I mean, that happened a long, long time ago. But those initials ST, if I'm not mistaken, I think they stand for saint. And see, my friends, the, 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 what had taken place was this man had a life that was full of, of uh, horrible, wicked. I mean, he was a thief, right? But as time went on and he changed the way that he lived, it was forgotten who he was because his new actions spoke louder. And he was and to, the, to the neighbors, I think it's a saint. Now, the story doesn't particularly say that the transformation that took place in this man's life was because of the gospel. But I'm here to submit to you this morning, that's exactly what the gospel does for everyone. Everyone who receives it. 
The message of Jesus Christ's love is death, burial, and resurrection. When one calls upon the name of the Lord for salvation, it transforms their eternity. A person who was destined for eternity in hell now has a new home in heaven. But it transforms their right here and now as well. One that was a beggar, one that was a drunkard, one that was just wicked and sinful. God has the power to change them and totally recreate them. And my friends, not only does that story tell us that, but uh, Paul wrote it to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He would write to the church at Rome in Romans 6 and verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Those verses and the verses here in Philemon before us this, this morning, my friends, they are a powerful illustration. The story of Philemon and a man named Onesimus is a powerful illustration that tells us this. God changes every person who he saves through the gospel. He transforms them as they've trusted his gospel message. Now, this book of Philemon that was, we read the first five verses in here this morning is the shortest letter that the Apostle Paul has written out of the Bible. Uh, it's the most personal letter as well. It was written during his first imprisonment in Rome. Philemon is the main recipient. We find that in verse number one. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Now, Philemon was the recipient of the letter. He was a wealthy man that lived in a town called Colossae. Colossae was near Laodicea, about 100 miles or so inland from Ephesus, which was on the west coast of what we would know today as modern-day Turkey. The letter is not only addressed to Philemon, though. It says in verse number 2, to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So this letter is also addressed to Apphia, which is probably Philemon's wife. It was written also to Archippus, that is believed to be the pastor of this church in Colossae, the church in Philemon's home. And many believe that Archippus might even be the son of Apphius and Philemon. But then it also says at the last part of verse number two, and to the church in thy house. See, Philemon being a wealthy individual, had a home. That had plenty of room and space for people to be able to come and to be hosted. And there were no church buildings in those days, in the early church days like we have today. No one didn't wake up in that day and say, uh, I'm going over here to the church house. They were going to an individual's house, and that's where they held church at. And this is what was happening in Philemon's home. Being a wealthy man, having space, he gave of what he had back to the Lord to be used for the Lord's honor and glory. Now, this isn't the message here this morning, but I think it's a good thought for us to consider as we begin a brand new year. If the Lord has blessed us and has given us anything, which, my friends, He has. If He's blessed us and given us anything, it is only right for us as believers to be willing to return it back to Him for His use and for His honor and for His glory. That's what Philemon did, and that we see that example before us here this morning. But uh, the interesting thing about this letter of Philemon is Paul had never visited Colossae. He had never been to this town, and not as an apostle anyways, not as a missionary. So the fact that he knew Philemon uh, was interesting in and of itself. 
it's believed that Philemon might have been down in Ephesus one day, being a wealthy man, traveling for business or whatever. And while Paul is there in Ephesus, they, their paths cross. Maybe Philemon goes to the church there in Ephesus or whatever the case might be. Uh, but although he had never been to Colossae, he had met Philemon more than likely in Ephesus. And it's believed even that Paul was the one who led Philemon to Christ. Look at verse number 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. And that seems to allude to the fact that Paul was the one that had shared the greatest news Philemon could have ever known, the news of the gospel. And Paul was just re reiterating the fact that, don't forget that I shared the best news possible with you. Even though Paul had never been to Colossae, he desired to go, notice verse number 22, but withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Now Philemon being a wealthy individual, the Bible clearly tells us through this story in the book of Philemon that being a wealthy individual, he owned slaves. One particular slave was a man named Onesimus that we'll learn more about here in just a minute. Now, before I go any further, let me say this this morning, that in several instances in the Bible, the Bible is prescriptive, okay? Let me, let me explain that, meaning that what the Bible says is giving us an example or telling us how we ought to live. You follow what I'm saying? For instance, uh, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other God before me, thou shalt not kill. Those are prescriptive. They're explaining, they're instructing, do not do these things. Elsewhere, it says, uh, uh, do all that you do unto the glory of God. That is prescriptive. It's describing, it's prescribing what we should do and how we should live. But there's several other places in the Bible where it's not prescriptive, but it's just descriptive. It's telling us this is what was going on. And that's what is found here when it comes to a slave being owned. People try to take offense against the Bible and say it is for slavery and for it's diminishing the, the rights and the lives. It, the Bible never does anything like that. When the Bible talks about slavery and speaks of it, it's just describing what was true of the event. It'd be like if someone were to be writing about what took place at my Christmas and it said that my kids got this for Christmas. And we were, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to get your kids that for Christmas. It's just describing, that's what my kids got. You following along with me here this morning? So some places are prescriptive, some places are descriptive, and no doubt that matter of fact is descriptive in here. But nevertheless, Philemon being wealthy owned slaves. Now, in the Roman government of that day that was ruling, the slave owner, the master, had all the power in that relationship. If that slave did something the master didn't like, the master could have them put to death just like that. You say, you mean if he messed up his, if he was the cook and he messed up his order and he wanted fried eggs instead of scrambled eggs and the, and the servant brought him scrambled eggs instead, he could have him killed? Absolutely, he could have had him killed. That was the authority and the power he had in the Roman government of that day. Now, if a person could have someone killed over what kind of eggs were brought to them, Here's one thing you need to know about Onesimus, the slave. Onesimus was a slave that didn't do his job very well. Onesimus stole from Philemon and his family. Onesimus not only stole money and possessions, but then he ran away. 
So if, if a person could be killed for the slightest of offense, can I say this morning that Onesimus was in bad shape because he could have been killed definitely for stealing and for running away. Now, the interesting thing about this is, through this letter, the Bible tells us that Onesimus steals from Philemon and his family, runs away, and God providentially leads him all the way to Rome. While in, this, in Rome, this huge city, somehow, God, of course, Onesimus crosses paths with the Apostle Paul. It could have been that Onesimus got in trouble while he was there in Rome and he was put in prison while Paul was in prison as well. Or maybe they just crossed paths in another way. But nevertheless, Paul met Onesimus. And because Paul met Onesimus, Onesimus hears the gospel. Onesimus, the slave who is a thief, who is on the run, who, who by all rights could be put to death, he hears the gospel and he gets saved. And Onesimus and Paul become great friends. Now, Paul is writing back to Philemon, this letter that we're reading here this morning, and asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus because Onesimus is a brother in Christ. He's declaring that Onesimus has had a change of heart, if you want to put it that way. Onesimus has been transformed, and Onesimus knows that what he's done is wrong, and he wants to come back and make things right. And so Paul is writing on the behalf of Onesimus to Philemon, trying to be an advocate to say, hey, accept him back. He's been changed. But how has he been changed? Well, that's why we're here to talk about this morning. The reason why Onesimus had that change of heart, the reason how Onesimus had been changed was because he had been transformed by the power of the gospel. And this story, this letter here of Philemon, it, it proves this point. It expresses it so greatly. And I want you to notice, number one, with me this morning, that when the gospel comes into our life, notice, number one, the gospel changes our relationship with self. Now, it's interesting to note that everyone that is in this story, I know we only read five verses. We kind of sprinkled in a couple other ones, and we haven't looked at all the nitty-gritty of it yet this morning and all of that. But if you're familiar with this book at all, it's interesting to note that every character mentioned in this book is acting differently now after salvation than they would have acted before salvation. And it's showing the transformation that had taken place in their life, not because they read a self-help book, not because they said, oh, I'm making a New Year's resolution, that this year I'm going to be a better person. No, the reason why is because they've been transformed by the power of the gospel. And I want you to notice first with me that the gospel changes your relationship with yourself. There's plenty of that we could go through here in this book and other places in Scripture, but we'll limit ourselves to just two people found right here in Philemon today, number one being the, the Apostle Paul. Notice with me that the gospel changed Paul. The gospel changed Paul. This letter, as we read, it oozes with gentleness and graciousness and sensitivity. Look at verses 4 through 7 with me. I want you to see them. Read them with me. Uh, you read in silently as I read aloud. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. He's saying, I'm, I'm thanking God for you, Philemon, for your wife, for the pastor, for the church that's at your house. He says, a hearing of the love and the faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual 
by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation or assurance in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. See, we find here in verses 4 through 7, he commends Philemon, but he does it in a loving and a gracious manner, describing how his own heart uh, has come to have much joy and comfort because of the love of Philemon. He goes on then to appeal to him as a brother in Christ. Notice verse 8 through 10. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee uh, that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an, an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. So we find that he appeals to him as a brother in Christ. He is urging Philemon in verse number 17. Notice what he says. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Notice in verse number 20, he gently adds this. He says, yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord, refreshing my bowels in the Lord. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course that's how Paul is writing. He's got authority because he's an apostle. And man, he's a, he's a guy that God is, is using. He's seen people saved. He's, he's, he's planting churches and he's doing all kinds of great things for God. Of course, he's loving and gracious and joyful. All the fruit of the Spirit is abounding in Paul. No, yeah, no doubt that's the apostle Paul we're talking about. Exactly my point. If you know anything about Paul and his life, think of how, when he used to go by the name of Saul. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1 that when the Jews stoned the innocent Stephen, Paul was watching this gruesome spectacle and he was doing so in hearty agreement. He was glad for Stephen to be stoned. Stephen's just preaching, telling the Jews that they had crucified their Christ and the, and the Jews are mad, they're angry about it. They pick up heavy stones and stone Stephen to death and Paul's watching with gladness while this is taking place. We read in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 3 that he would begin to bring uh, uh, just rage and ravage the church. He would enter in from house to house, the Bible says, and, and uh, dragging men and women off into prison. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1 that the same Apostle Paul that we just read about being loving and kind and compassionate and gracious, Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, that he was breathing threatenings and murders against the disciples of God. Paul himself would go on to describe himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 13 as one who was a blasphemer, one who was a persecutor and had violent, uh, who was a violent aggressor. Now, my friends, when we compare Paul before Jesus to Paul after Jesus, it's not hard to see a great transformation that had taken place. See, Saul, his whole attitude has changed. Paul, his whole attitude has changed. Where before, like when he's given his pedigree about who he was before Jesus, he said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. It's like I'm the top dog, if we would have put it in our vernacular today. He said, he even went as far as to name drop, to say, look, let me tell you how popular and how good I am. He said, I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel the wisest teacher of the day. 
That was Paul's prideful heart before Jesus. But look at verse number one in this book, Philemon 1. What's he say? Paul, a, say it out loud, church. I I didn't hear you. Say it out loud, church. A, that doesn't sound like something to boast about. That doesn't sound like something to be prideful about. He's not a prisoner of man. He says, I'm just a prisoner of Jesus. Pretty much what Paul is saying here, he's like, I'm just like Onesimus. I'm just a slave or a servant to Jesus Christ. Notice the transformation. Notice notice the change. We could sum it up this way. The Apostle Paul before Jesus was an angry man. After Jesus, he was a kind and compassionate and caring man. You say, how did that happen? How did one go from anger to compassion? Because he was transformed by the power of the gospel. See how the gospel changes a person? See how the power of God can change a person? We see, number one here this morning, that the gospel changes our relationship with self. We see that because the gospel changed the Apostle Paul. But notice also with me that the gospel changed Onesimus. Here, look with me here in the, in the scripture this morning. We, we find here in verse number 11, Paul's writing to Philemon, talking about Onesimus. He says, which in time past was, un, was to thee the unprofitable. So Paul knows Onesimus' backstory. He knows that Onesimus was a worthless bum of a slave. Let's just put it that way, all right? I mean, Onesimus, he did just as much as he had to to get by. He did it begrudgingly. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to do his job. And, and let me say this this morning. Philemon was a Christian man. And being a Christian man, Paul in other places teaches how a person, that if you do have a slave, you ought to treat your slave. He doesn't say not to treat them as if they were a lesser being or that they weren't worth anything. He says actually to treat them like an equal or as a, as a, as a co-worker and to take care of them and to provide for them. And so Philemon, being a Christian man, I believe this. I believe he would have taken good care of Onesimus, even though he was a slave. I believe that he would have taken care of Onesimus and made sure he had a roof over his home, over his house, over his head, I'm sorry. That he would have had clothes to wear that would have kept him warm and dry and cared for. That he would have had plenty of food to be able to accomplish the work and sustenance that was needed. But even though he had all of that to his good, Onesimus did not care for where he was at. And he only did what he had to, only did as much as he had to to get by. And therefore, Paul says, hey, I know in times past, he was unprofitable. He was unvaluable. He was useless, if you may. But notice the rest of that verse. He says, but now, profitable to thee and to me. His work ethic had changed. The way he saw his worth had changed. And instead of being an angry slave, now he's a, a, a cheerful, happy, and helpful servant. Not only do we see that his behavior changed, but his attitude changed as well. And an interesting note, Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, and about 50 years after Paul wrote this letter, Ignatius, who was the bishop of Antioch, was being taken to Rome for execution. At a a, a, a stopover in Smyrna, Ignatius took some time to write, and he was writing to the church 
of Ephesus, and he commended the bishop of Ephesus. And as he commended the bishop of Ephesus, he named the bishop. I bet you can imagine who the bishop of Ephesus' name was. Onesimus. Now, there's no way of us proving to know whether or not that Onesimus, who was the bishop of Ephesus, is the same Onesimus who was the slave to Philemon. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the power of the gospel is powerful enough to do just that. To take a slave who was worthless, to take one who was a thief, to take one who ran from his responsibilities. The power of the gospel is powerful enough to transform and to change that one. And notice how the gospel changes one's self, because it changed Paul. It changed Onesimus. Notice secondly with me this morning that the gospel changes our relationship with others. See, this no doubt is an extension of a change of character, of course, but when, when, we, when we change from being hostile to gentle, when we change from being rebellious to submissive, from being self-serving to serving others, then it's bound to affect our other relationships as well. And I see this played out in our story before us here in Philemon also. Notice with me that the gospel changes one from alienation to reconciliation with others. Here Philemon and, and, uh, and Onesimus, they, uh, just to put it lightly, their relationship was severed. All right, well, this, we'll put it that way, put it lightly. But notice how Paul is, is advocating on behalf of Onesimus, asking that Philemon would receive him back because he was a brother in Christ. That's the change that the gospel can bring. In fact, Jesus even majored on this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 and verses 23 through 24, he says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. He talks about two who were at odds with each other, and one was going to bring a gift to the temple there to the altar, and then on his way there, he remembers, man, I, I've got this, this rift between me and my brother, or me and my friend, and Jesus said, because I have forgiven you, because the gospel has transformed you, go back to that one that you have odd against and make it right. Broken relationships can be mended. Because of the gospel's power. I mean, in fact, consider all that had gone on between Philemon and Onesimus. If what I said earlier is true and Philemon took good care of his slave, he had a, a roof over his head. He had plenty of clothes to keep him warm and provide for. Plenty of sustenance to be able to accomplish his work and job. Then no doubt it would have been just natural for Philemon and his wife Aphia to be, to be, be thinking about uh, Onesimus and say, I can't believe he did that to us. After all we've done for him, he could have been a slave to so-and-so down the road. They treat their slaves like garbage. And here we are taking care of him, and he still stabbed us in the back, stole from us, ran away, and did all that. I mean, that's just natural, right? You, you follow me this morning? And after all that had gone on, how can a relationship that had been broken in that way be replenished and renewed? Only through the power that is found through Christ, through the gospel. 
But notice with me not only that the gospel changes our relationship with others by changing us from alienation to reconciliation, but notice secondly with me this morning that the gospel changes you from relating to others on the basis of social status to relating as family. When, when Onesimus ran off, this is the relationship he had with Philemon. Philemon, master, Onesimus, slave. Power, might, prestige, nothing, right? right? Like just the bottom of the rung. But now Philemon is, is, a, is a believer, and Paul is saying Onesimus is a believer as well. Notice what he asks here in verse number 16. Paul asks Philemon this. To receive Onesimus back, he says, now, not, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul says, hey, don't receive him back as another slave and just kick him to the curb again. Receive him back as though he was your own brother, because he is a brother in Christ. My friends, that's exactly how we ought to see each other. It's a sad, there's no, there is no place in the believer's heart to have pride because of title or position and to look down upon someone else because they're not exactly like you. There's no place in it because the gospel has changed us from relating by social statuses to instead relating as family. If you're saved here this morning, you're my brother or sister in Christ. And I might be the pastor, and I might have a title, but that doesn't make me better than you. And then when we start walking around thinking we're better than somebody because we have this thing or that thing, and we start off of social cues, say, this is who I am, and I'm better, that there's no place in the, in the heart of, of a believer for, uh, for that. Because we've been transformed by the power of the gospel to relate as family can I say also that's exactly what he did for you and I between me and him, uh, uh, us and him as well? That's exactly our third point. Notice that the gospel changes our relationship with him. It changes our relationship with him. See, Onesimus, Philemon, master slave. Can I say before salvation in our own sin, our relationship between us and God was Judge, guilty. Judge, guilty. But because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, when we trust him as our savior, when we accept him as our savior, the relationship has changed. Father, child. That's exactly what has happened when we accept Christ as our savior. And the gospel transforms our relationship with God. Martin Luther wrote it this way, that we are all the Lord's Onesimai. And what he, is, what he meant is true, and what this, this little book illustrates is true as well, that salvation that is brought to every believer brings an enjoyment of a new relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, before sin entered into this world. God created Adam. He created Eve. And they walked in the garden. They had communion with him every day. And man, they had a perfect relationship with God. 
And when mankind fell, it broke that relationship. It severed that relationship to the point. So not only did that mean that there would be eternal separation in a place called hell for all of eternity, but it also separated us from being able to have that right and perfect relationship with God right here and now. But God loved us enough, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And my friends, when, when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to be buried and to rise again, which is the message of the gospel, Paul tells the church at Corinth. And when we accept that message of the gospel, when we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, it changes everything. It transforms our destiny from being that of experiencing an eternity in hell to having a new home in heaven. It transforms our here and now. And now that doesn't happen overnight. I don't become all brand new and, and, and always know what is right and always know what is wrong and all that type of thing. That's a process still as we yield to the Spirit, no doubt. But my friends, what I'm here to tell you this morning is that not only does He transform your eternity, He transforms you now if you'll just yield to Him. And it tra- He changes our relationship with Him. As I close, some years ago, the church in England was having a combined communion with one of its mission churches. The pastor, as he was hosting the communion, he noticed down there at the communion rail was a, an old thief that was uh, praying and taking communion there. And right next to him was a judge of the Supreme Court of England. In fact, it was the judge that had sentenced that old thief uh, to his imprisonment time a couple years before. Service was over, and the pastor and that judge happened to be walking home that evening together and as they were talking, uh, the judge looked over at the pastor and he said, did you, uh, did you notice who was taking communion next to me this, this evening? The pastor said, I actually did. It was that thief that you, uh, you had uh, convicted a couple of years back. He said, uh, yeah, that's right. He said, I didn't realize you had noticed it, uh, but I guess you did. He did. He's, the judge said, yes, I, I noticed that. The judge paused for a moment. They kept walking in silence for just a few moments. And finally, the judge looked over at the pastor. He said, what a... What a picture of God's marvelous grace. Pastor agreed quickly. He said, oh, yes, man, what a, what a picture of the marvelous grace of Jesus. A little bit of silence for a little longer. The judge spoke up again, looked over at the pastor. He says, when, when we were talking about the grace of Jesus, who were, you, who were you referring to? The pastor said, well, of course, that old thief, the one that you had convicted years ago, and the fact that he's in church, and he's, you know, he's a savior, and he's taking communion right next to the one that had sentenced him all those years ago. What a, what a picture of God's grace. He said, no, that's, that's absolutely true, but the judge says, when I was talking about God's grace, I was talking about myself. He said, because honestly, he said, that thief, he obviously knew who he was. He obviously knew where he had come from. He obviously could see that he needed the saving grace of Jesus. Here I am, though. I was, I was raised in church. I was raised to know right from wrong. I, I went to Oxford. I got my degrees. I was called to the bar and, and uh, became the, uh, this judge. And, and uh, all, all this is going on. And, and uh, he, he said, Pastor, it is nothing but the grace of God that could have saved me. I didn't, I, I, with all that was going on, I, I wouldn't have recognized my need for a Savior had it not been for His grace. 
It took much more grace, he said, to forgive me for all of my pride and self-righteousness to get me to admit that I was no better in the eyes of God than a convict whom I had sent to prison. My friends, that's what the gospel does. It transforms our heart, transforms our life to, from that of pride and self-arrogance and self, self-reliance to recognizing that Jesus is who we need. Now this morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, let me be clear, Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. He died for you. And what a great display of love that is. If you're here and you know Christ as your Savior, would we not take a moment right here at the beginning of this year and just recognize the transformation that God has done in our life? Are we, allowing, are we yielding to Him and allowing Him to transform us from the inside out right here and now? Are we allowing His power to transform how we rea- relate with others? Have we allowed have we allowed His power to transform and change our relationship with Him? I could I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, here this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to have a time of invitation. Just out of respect of others here this morning, if we'd all close our eyes and bow our heads, no one looking around, I want to ask a few simple questions. How many here would say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today... I know that I'd stand before Jesus. I have been born again. Could I just rejoice with you? Just slip your hand up and write back down if that's you here this morning. I know I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. Put your hands down. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I can be in the presence of other believers. I wonder, would there be anyone here this morning who would say, Pastor, honestly, if I'm not, if I were to be honest, I am not sure that heaven's my home. I'm not sure that I've been born again. And if I die today, I do not know for sure that Christ is my personal Savior. Now, I wouldn't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but I would like to pray for you. Now, understand, my prayer can't save you, but I can pray and ask that the Lord would speak to your heart. He would convict you of your need of Him, that He would give you the faith to be able to trust Him as your personal Savior today. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, would you just slip your hand up and write back down and say, Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Please pray for me. Anybody like that? Slip your hand up and write back down. One last question here this morning. Who here would say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. But Pastor, would you please pray with me, especially as we began this brand new year, as people are making resolutions and trying to make changes and setting goals and things like that, that I want to try to change myself that I want to go down this list of do's and don'ts, but instead, Pastor, pray with me that I would just yield to God and let His power transform me as He so desires. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter six. Uh, he said uh, that it would be that we would be it, that it was God's will. His He predestined that we would be conformed to His image. Would we just allow Him to do that? Who here would say, Pastor, please pray with me, especially as we kick off this new year, that I'd yield to the Lord and let him transform my life through his power of the gospel. Could I, could I pray with you this morning? Hands all across the auditorium. You put your hands down. I'm going to pray. The piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord's spoken to your heart and you'd like to come forward and kneel here at the front at the altar, you're welcome. If you're unable to kneel, maybe right there in your seat, you'd call out to the Lord and, and, uh, and just give him your heart. 
and, uh, and uh, give him, just praise him and thank him for all he's done. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. And God, I ask now that you just bless our time and the rest of this invitation. Have your will in your way now. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning, you'd like to come to the front, you're welcome to do so.